Welcome to the Mr. TV Podcast. On today's episode, we're talking with the creator of La La Land, James Shannon. We talk about how his grandmother inspired the show, what changed between the original shorts and the longer episodes, and how inspiring curiosity is paramount in kids' TV. Stay tuned. Jamie Shannon, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Glad to be here. So for listeners who might be new to Nana Land, I was wondering, could you explain what the show was to them? Well, oh well, I guess they'd probably say what I can guess what it was to them because it was played <laughs> ad infinitum for, I guess, about five years, it seems. Mm-hmm. Um, when I after I had been at YTV, uh, I was a PJ for a little while. And then this producer offered all the people who did the program jockeys to come up with their own show. So I had developed a show with my two partners at the time, the Grog partners, and we had this sort of idea that was bubbling, and then it just came to fruition. It was called Nanalan, and Nanalan was uh, based on kind of like my Nana and my partner's Nana, but my mm-hmm. Nana had a backyard called Nanaland that I called that as a it was a place as a kid, so it was like just sort of like a really fun grandma backyard. So. We made um, these very improvised, loose, non-commercial kind of like feeling-based shows. And these would play, I think, at the end of every TV show. Because CRTC rules were, for kids programming, you couldn't have advertising. So they would have to replace that with a three-minute skit or, or something fun so they played nanoland between every show so it kind of became i think what i've heard is that it was this kind of uh it was like resp- it was like a little bit of a break from the kind of like hey mammy pammy hey this is children's television you know and then it was just sort of this quiet show that was had a real sort of different feeling so i think it was hmm. it was where kids you know i've heard a lot of people just loved it because it was so important or they thought it was weird but it's so important it's such a sweet memory for a lot of people it seems mm-hmm. uh, in case we have any american listeners here the crtc stands for the canadian radio television and Te- telecommunications authority i believe yeah so yeah they mandate a lot of stuff which when it comes to canadian content on our tv and, and broadcast channels um the one thing I remember the most about the show is just how brilliant the intro is and the song is. And for me, it's just so iconic of a great kids TV show. Uh, Thanks. Yeah, we just (laughs) did, you know, we had such a, we had a little scratch together budget. We did it in the top floor of an office building Mm. and, uh, you know, cut all those little pieces out of foam core. So what we didn't have in budget, we had in heart. So, you know, I even had my Nana there that day, part of that opening, and we just ran it about 10 times, and then it came out as this hilarious, perfect little opening.
One thing I was hoping to talk about is uh, yeah, some of your sort of puppet accomplices, you might call them. And one of them is specifically uh, Jason Hopley. I was wondering, how did you two meet? I know Jason Hopley. I knew since grade six, we went to a school in North York called Claude Watson School for the Arts. So we had this mm -hmm. amazing experience, especially then. You know, those early grades, six, seven, and eight, it was just so magical. Half of every day was drama, theater, dance. So it was such a great experience. And then we were both theater majors in high school. Mm -hmm. And then after high school, just, you know, I guess we were both searching what to do. I, I went to Europe and I came back and started making puppets. And then I ran into Jason Hopp and he was like, I'm into puppets too. <laughs> so we made a troupe of puppets called the Grogs. And we were on YTV with the Grogs for, for I think, two or three years, improvising every day. Instead of Nanolan, it would be just live, live program jockey or puppets, kind of just. So we had this very natural evolution where we, we, we practiced basically, you know, every, every 25 minutes we'd have to pull out our puppets. Hey, welcome back to Toontown Alley. And I'm not involved in these really stupid games. I'm going to read a letter. A fan mail, all right? Here we go. <clears throat> this one comes from Ryan Gullen from uh, Deep River, Ontario. All right? Here it goes. Dear Warren, I like you because you're very grouchy like me. Oh, I forgot my name. Ryan Gullen. I think you should have your own... Hear this! Hear this! I think you should have your own TV show. Um, we had had a conversation with another puppeteer and uh, named Steve Schneer, who was uh, one of the creators yeah, of Freaky Stories. Him. Yeah. yeah, and he, he talked a bit about in how Europe puppets aren't seen as merely a, a tool for communicating with kids and how puppets are, you know, can be a tool for a, adult communication. Uh, what's your kind of view on, on puppetry and, and its use in, I guess, kids' TV and communicating messages to, you know, people of all ages? Yeah, I, I agree with him. It would be nice, you know, we, we really got set up here so that people believe it was a preschool medium, but it's not. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it can be for anyone. I think it's kind of like animation. It's not, it's like, did you, have you ever heard of the book Understanding Comics? Yeah. It's, yeah. It's a great book. And there's one page where he talks about the level of abstraction is almost goes in line with your, le your ability to project yourself onto the, onto the character. So like emojis are just a happy face. It's just a smile and two eyes and we all use those same emojis to to for our own expression of ourself. And I think that's the same thing with puppets. Or And that's definitely what I was going for with Mona is she's just a circle of two eyes and a mouth. So I think, you know, like Nailand's an interesting example where it has, all, I think, as many adult fans. And the reason I think they're fans of it is because they can almost jump inside Mona because she's her design is so open for you know, projection and interpretation. So you kind of get, you really feel like a little kid when you watch it because you become mm -hmm. her. Where if she was like a little actress, you'd be like, oh, that's, there's a little kid who's different than me, separate from me. Yeah, I guess it's it's kind of hard to embody something where they have really defined characteristics and like, a, see, okay, w one thing that I find really funny about the show is, and, and this is kind of, my fault, and I I learned a lot through doing research on Alan uh, over the last few weeks. Is I didn't even know her name was Mona. <laughs> I know, yeah, it's so I, little language. 
Yeah, I mean, I feel like I should have known that. But again, like, if you mean, I didn't even know her name was Mona, but then, you know, that opens up to boys and girls if they didn't know the name that they could see themselves as the the kid from Nanoland. So, oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. I know it's only said a few times by the Nana, especially in the original three minute bits. There's 71 of those three minute bits, those hilarious bits. And Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, the Nana is just. uh, yeah, she's the only one who says it occasionally. But yeah, it was a very abstract show with very little information or context. And because of that, I think it was just wide open. It was just, you know, people just were able to make their own interpretations of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe this is a good time to intro one other person that you worked with, uh, a man named Jack Lenz. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I read an article uh, in the Globe and Mail where he talked about how he actually got you fired from YTV. Uh, what's the story there? Oh, well, I'm sure he feel, felt bad about that, but it, it, it was just, um, he was coming on to be our manager, and it was also our choice. Uh, we were just, well, I don't know, it's just business for schnickety stuff. We had a troop of puppets called the Grogs, and mm. uh, they wanted to own them, and he felt that we weren't in a good negotiating position as, as staff salary people. So we quit to go on to be, to renegotiate. And they were like, no, (laughs) you don't (laughs) quit on us and just try to do that move. So, but that, it, that was, uh, long ago before we had a whole bunch of success with Jack as well. Like we, we did a show with Nickelodeon. We did a show with CBC, PBS. Like we had, we did so much. There was a long period of not doing things, and that was that was hard. I didn't like that. I didn't like... When was that? Well, just kind of leaving YTV, and then it took about five years until all our series began. So we left YTV going, all right, we're going to be big TV makers and create all these shows. And it's not easy to sell a show. It does take a while. So it was it was five years later that finally things started hitting, and we did... And then we did a bunch of series. We did Big and Small, Mr. Meaty, Nanoland, The Half Hour with CBC. And, uh, but I think these three minute Nanolands was our first thing out of the gate after leaving YTV. So it had a lot of energy. It had all the passion and energy of two young guys who were like, when do we get to start doing things again? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, uh, 71 shorts each, you know, I mean, two minutes and 30 seconds of, you know, puppetry and 30 seconds of intro, that's like an immense amount of work. And you guys just sort of, I guess you guys put them out there pretty quickly then. Yeah, there, it was two separate shooting periods, like a few days each. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, you know, they were all one shot. Basically, we'd, we'd have one camera and we would yep. improvise the full three minutes in front of the camera with cards that got held up. Oh, okay. And then those cards would kind of lead us to trying it again. We'd try it again, and we'd, we usually improve the ending a little bit. We'd discuss it. But we would just kind of jump in. We got, okay, we got a cookie, we got a dragonfly, and we got Mona and Russell. Now, go! <laughs> And then I think that kind of energy, that kind of falling off a cliff, what's going to happen, it's a little bit of a clown. There's a little bit of clown in that where clowns will kind of like be very momentous 
and you mm. feel their emotion in a great to a great degree because they're not acting. And I feel like yeah. with that with with Mona, I would just kind of like embody this one year old and then run out into the backyard <laughs> and find out what happens. Yeah, yeah. Um, and maybe we can pivot a bit into talking about production of the show. And I guess just to start off, I was wondering, could you describe how Mona and Russell's characters came to be? Like, what was the design process like of putting them together? Um, well, it was just, um, I think Jason made the original Mona and I made the original Russell. Mm-hmm. Um, Russell's just a Jack Russell and he's about as big as your hand. Like, if you take your three, your middle finger, your forefinger, and your second finger, and that's his top, and then your thumb is his, and then one of one of his arms was your baby finger. Right. So I always loved making puppets that were just your hand and always making use of your hand. And then Mona really was, you know, based on just like the simplest kind of elements and kind of like a little bit of both of our ideas and drawings i used to draw this little kind of buddha character with a circle two eyes and a smile and then i'd draw these two lines like kind of like like a horizon line coming you know like calm and connected so it was this little buddha character that i had drawn and then the spirit of the show was curiosity um and the celebration of the moment, like being in the moment. So her character was just kind of me kind of channeling that, that very spirit. And then Russell, I guess Jason was the original puppeteer of Russell for all the three minute bits. We actually started the other way around and they were like, wait a minute, you should be Mona and you should be Russell. How did that change things? Um, it just felt better. I just naturally did Mona better and he was really good at the dog. He always okay. had a dog, so he loved his little dog. So it was kind of, he was just kind of being his little dog. I don't know. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and they just kind of like, you know, the great thing is when you've known someone since grade six and then you perform with them, you really have all of the, your, your relationship right there to draw from. Right. So yeah. uh, we, we did a lot of great characters together because we could be, we could you know, explore all of our real dynamics. And I think that's really what makes a great a great partnership in performance is mm-hmm. two performers who know each other well and have a lot of, you know, interesting kind of dynamics in their own, in their personalities already. And uh, how did uh, Nana's, care, uh, Nana's design sort of come to be? I mean, it, we're, we have two sort of different designs. Though. We have the designs from the first three minutes uh, first yeah. shorts, and then a design from the sort of the CBC show, the longer um, episodes. So how did Nana's first design come to be? Um, <laughs> it's a hilarious design. Do you have? Do you remember? <laughs> yeah, I think it it came from the drawer of extra pieces of foam. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I think it was just. It really was that. Same with Mona. Actually, her design was like oh, well, we've got this old foam head here. Maybe we can turn it around and use the back of the head for the face. And then we okay. cut out the thing. Same with Nana. She was literally um, a flat piece of foam that you curled around to make a tube and then kind of like pinched in the top and covered it with hair. Right. And then she was done. <laughs> it was just sort of like, it was just kind of making use of, 
everything in the puppet shop because we did it on, you know, a buck 95. So, you know, really the best creations I think do become come from the limitations of budget. Right. It's almost a, you're almost in trouble with creativity sometimes when you have too much money. You know, a lot of companies in, in Los Angeles and Hollywood, they just throw so much money at things, but then they uh, then they squash those hilarious solutions that you have to come up with um, when you've got no budget. And I, you know, I'm I'm a big fan of you know limitations and and uh, you know sc- scrappy solutions. <laughs> Wait, so would you actually say that Mona's design costs only a dollar fifty to make? Or probably more than that. Well, I, I think we did buy the purple fabric that her dress was made out of. The hot foam was made. She was made out of hot foam that we had already done something with. So yeah, yeah, we pro. I don't know if we bought anything to make her. <laughs> That's awesome. I really um, think it was made out of stuff we had already. It's yeah. flocked. I think we had a flocking machine, and uh, we had to mix the green and the white to make the you know the mint colored mm-hmm. flock. Maybe you can sort of take me back in time and into your mind's eye and sort of, could you describe what the set of maybe the first original shorts, uh, what did that set look like? Oh, I do remember. It was, it was a, a little house. It was just, um, just little slats. It was just the outside of the house with the door. Mm-hmm. And then it was the, the wooden fence. And then it was a scrim of a sky with a cutout cloud that we, mm. and you light the scrim from the back for the blue sky. And then we made little mounds. They were, they almost looked like slugs on, on, um, on sea stands, you know, sea stands. Yep. Sentry stands. Yeah. Grip stands. Basically they, they were just like a piece of wood with carved out foam flocked with green fuzz and those kind of made those little grassy mounds. And then we would we would organize those. So it was all, we would roll around on little rolly chairs. And uh, the set was all started at four feet and above. And this very talented guy, Brad Archdeacon, who, who I think he made those original sets. And he remained building with us until the end, I think. Until, mm-hmm. you know, we saw until, you know, for many years. One thing to mention, too, is that you also played Mona, which we talked about before. That's correct. Um, uh, why take on that challenge instead of using a, um, I mean, a voice actor instead? Um, why take on that challenge? Uh, well, that same thing that I was talking about is a, a sense of realism. Like, I was, a re- I was such a... Uh, you know, I was a real, like, things have got to be made out of real things. No computer graphics. So in the original mm. Nanoland and the Nanoland CBC series, there's no computer graphics. So that was, like, you know, a real strong rule with us. And then also having the puppeteer voice their character was was something that definitely in the, for the first three minutes, I think we broke that rule when we did the half hour because Jason did both the Nana and the dog. So that became a problem. But... I think it's just, it's the immediacy and, you know, I think there's a, I I think when I look at so much television, it has, it has a detached feeling. 
It's detached because they record all the voices in separate rooms at separate times. So an actor will go in and they'll do all their lines, and then the other actor will go in and do all their lines. So I find when I watch cartoons, I can tell it's like, blah, 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 blah. I'm not, I didn't even say this to you in the same room. And we're just talking because we're not even right. talking to each other. And all of that serves to drain the humanity and the, and the, and the momentousness of a production. So... I really think that having, you know, and I really, I, I guess I started as an actor and a performer. So I, I really think there's so much value in giving them, you know, the respect of, you know, they they create their performance and their character. Like, I think a, a great director is not someone who who's pushes and squeezes and makes actors do what they want. He finds actors that already have the personality and ability to create a character and then they they mm. don't have to say much at all i mean one thing too is you'd mentioned that you had that sort of bond with jason so being able to sort of act alongside someone you've known for so long kind of creates a the exact opposite of what you're talking about before it's not like you're in separate audio boosts you're two are sort of acting together yeah so yeah exactly yeah. yeah and kids are pretty hard it's pretty hard to find a good kid actor it's a, it's a lot of yeah. work <laughs> And they grow up fast, too. So it's like, you know, Mona's one year, he's like, hi, how are you? And they're like, hi, I'm a teenager now, but I'm still doing Mona <laughs> voice. I, I guess for you, too, you know, as the voice of, of Mona, uh, where did the voice kind of come from? Was that just improvised or did you actually have to yeah, develop it? Or? Yeah, I'm, a, I'm kind of a voice person. Doesn't mm -hmm. everyone have their very own baby talk? They save just for their significant other. Although now I can't really do it because it's it got owned by, <laughs> I guess I own it, but it's it's now Mona. So whenever I kind of do my own little baby talk, it just sounds like a character from TV <laughs> that I'm doing. <laughs> gotcha. Um, one thing that uh, is a sort of a, a big part of the show is, and you'd mentioned this before as well, is that a lot of Mona's experiences are sort of built off of you and Jason's experiences, you know, at your grandmother's houses and stuff like that. Um, and you mentioned that your grandmother was actually on set. Did she ever have a chance to watch an entire show's production? What did she think of seeing kind of your, you know, childhood on screen through Mona? Well, there's a really magical, um, she was very touched that it was all kind of about her. And there was a very magical moment that's on film and it's on YouTube. It's, I think, called Real Nana YouTube mm -hmm. or something like that. And she, we brought her on set. And then we sang a song for her. And the song was like, We All Love Our Nana from the CBC series. It was Mr. Wuka and me, Mona, singing it. And she just sunk into the moment like she'd been performing her entire life, like looking the puppets in the eyes and gently touching them. And then <laughs> she, we ran, we sang this song to her and she just like, it was it was like the whole set was crying because we were just like, what is this magical? It's so <laughs> neat. Are you ready? <laughs> Key, this is a song for my nana. Yeah, it's right there. Key, that's Mr. Wuka. He's going to sing it. Oh, I'm going to try. Try my best there. <clears throat> She's everywhere around the world in every village and town. She's just next door and through the gate waiting to be found. She's full 
mean, she was a very special lady and a lot of the philosophy in the show, I think, comes from her. That's my dad's mom. She's passed on now, but she was, you know, she was just the kind of person that, you know, she had all these knickknacks that that's why she got called Nanaland because all of her knickknacks. But the way she held a flower or she, you know, she loved sparkly things and she'd pick them up and kind of turn them so the light would sparkle. And she's, oh, look at that. You know, and that kind of like um, appreciation of things and hugs and sitting in the backyard, that kind of the simple things in life is also a, a great philosophy in the show that, you know, I was kind of celebrating from this pretty amazing lady, my Nana, you know, who is also sort of uh, also responsible for me doing puppets because she was a sewer and she used to make clothes and all these different things. So I ended up sewing. I ended up sewing and making all these stuffed animals and that's kind of mm. what led me to, you know, and that was really young when I was like 10 I was making stuffed animals and then I started making puppets. Yeah. I mean, you described her sort of holding a flower and, and, and kind of, you know, looking at it and looking around it. I mean, that, that in a way for a kid kind of inspires a sense of wonder, which yeah. I, I guess is, I, I think, kind of an essential part of Nana Land. It's sort of a, a sense of wonder that sort of Mona has over literally everything. Yeah, wonder. That's the, yeah, that's, I should have said, yeah, wonder is even a better word than curiosity that I said earlier. Hmm. A sense of wonder. And I think that's even in the original description. Then. So, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's wonder. And it's that, um, you know, I, I, everybody's like, oh, they need, you know, Nanaland, I think that's why it's still got this kind of very special thing out there. People really, because it captured wonder in a nice way, yeah. I think. One other production thing, speaking of Mr. Wuka and speaking of um, music on the show, um, I wondered what it was like to work with um, Jack Lenz on the show. Did he do a lot of composing for the show? or? Yeah, he did, did all you... of it. So he is okay. like that great opening song you mentioned. He wrote the music for that. Like hmm. I had the tune, la, 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 la. And he made that. And then he did, he scored, you know, he's he wrote... Take me out, or uh, okay, Blue Jays, and he scored television, like tons of television shows and movies, and he took that incredible musical knowledge and scored these three-minute bits shot on video in an office tower. Mm -hmm. So they're all scored with that kind of like Hawaiian marimba. You know, yeah. that's actually based on Jason's grandmother used to go to Hawaii every year. So she would oh, come okay. back with all this Hawaiian sort of like, you know, it was kind of a thing for the older generation. That's that's where their holidays were. They went to Hawaii. So we always kind of continue that kind of Hawaiian feeling. And that's where that marimba and all the kind of like that hilarious music came from. So Jack really, uh, you know, he, he brought a lot to that. And actually, I think Mona was even, you know, just trying to celebrate, celebrating some, he, he was, he's Baha'i and there, there's a saint in the Baha'i world named Mona. So it was just okay. kind of celebrating that for him because, you know, he was a big part of what made that a great show. Yeah. And I, I mean, the music just, I don't know, it, it, talking about that sense of wonder, just hearing the marimba sort of, you know, ramping up as she's about to like, I don't know, take the lollipop from Russer's mouth or whatever it just you know elevates the sense of wonder elevates the energy of the show and it, it, to me it's such a huge part of it yeah 
music music is a is the a huge part of every production that people don't even realize it's 50 i i think it's 50% of a movie or a television show is the music and the amazing thing is it's invisible it's actually it just te- it gives you a guideline in how to feel but you're mm-hmm. not even conscious of it and uh it's a pretty amazing art form and i think a lot of people forget that um first of all they don't get enough appreciation musicians often but i also think that uh good good music is not it's often what messes up a movie you can watch a hollywood movie and you can tell they put 200 million into the picture and 1 million into the music because it just is not it doesn't elevate the movie it's yeah and it's so key So yeah, I, I wanted to pivot into talking about um, going from your Nickelodeon and YTV shorts, the original ones that we're talking about, and then the sort of longer episodes that you did with CBC. Um, yeah. How did things change from going to, from the short shorts to the longer episodes? What changed? Um, there was a few changes. I guess I can be pretty honest about all this stuff now. You know, I don't like, but I... I think there were some changes I didn't like. It was funny. Suddenly she she was in some description she was said she was said as three and free. So once she became three, they just because somebody was like it rhy- it rhy- rhymes well, right? So suddenly I had to um, speak perfect English with Mona. So uh, that I I feel like a lot of the magic in the show was the was the imperfect English. So I was very, I, I fought it as long as I could, but it, it, it's kind of true. It's like, you, if you had a show on CBC teaching kids how to talk baby talk, there is, you know, parents would complain. It, right. it would be, it's a tough sell. So I kind of understand why it happened, but I also think that a lot of magic was lost in that. And then I wanted to take the, um, the more abstract approach of not telling because those three minutes they don't actually have story Mm. there's there's sometimes a beginning middle and end but it's not really it's just kind of like experiential and i feel like that is more kind of like in tune especially with those young preschoolers i don't think they're there i don't think they need narrative the way adults do and they don't need sense and they don't need um uh yeah, like a, a sort of like a cognitive, you know, thread going through things. You're like, aha, uh-huh, that's what's happening next. And here's the moral. So I was, I, but what, what the, um, what we ended up doing as a compromise is, is doing shows that were based around themes. So, um, uh, so the, the second thing was I, re- and I still feel this way. Um, there is some, some really interesting shows that came out of the UK and sort of like the Teletubbies, when uh, this was after Nanoland, people were like, maybe we can try things that are not so narrative with children. They don't really maybe need something that is got a uh, a, a through line and a message. Mm-hmm. And uh, but so we did these thematic thematic shows. But 
and it was it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. I think theme. It is it is interesting to explore a theme through a through a a, a bunch of events. But uh, you know, I still dream of one day making a completely um, a show free of narrative theme, and it, it almost just kind of like one event rolls into another. Once the Kickstarter for that goes live, I'll be the first to fund it. <laughs> All right, sounds good. I mean, I do think I can't stand watching a movie with a bad story, but I'm an adult. And uh, I think, you know, but I think that I think that the preschool world is a lot more, uh, you know, their experience of the world is a lot more psychedelic than that. Mm. <laughs> you know, there's a great uh, one of the great hints that we got right at the beginning was that from this man, Peter Moss, and he was the uh, exec producer at YTV at the time. And he said for preschools, for, for preschoolers. It's not about the trumpet, it's the trumpet. So it's not about the flower, it's the flower. So I, I really think that's a really interesting philosophical approach. And we took that approach to the show where it was it was the thing, whatever the thing was. It wasn't like, what are you going to do with the cookie? What does the cookie mean to you? It was mm. just like, here's a cookie. What's going to happen? Improvise what happens next, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Huh. Um, so a few things did change uh, also with the new show. So, for instance, uh, Nana's design changed a bit. She was made less oblong, more round. Um, so her yeah. design changed. Uh, Mr. Wuka was introduced, who's a sort of kindly neighbor who ran the puppet shows in the show. He was introduced. Yeah. Um, the sets also changed a lot. There's an interior of the house where, you know, there's an episode where Mona's getting a haircut, which has been sort of made into a meme online, which we'll talk about later. Uh, there's the, the puppet shows, so there's that part of the backyard. I mean, there's a lot of changes that um, happen between the shorts to the longer episodes. Um, but the one I want to talk about is that, you know, Mona's mom is also introduced into the um, sort of picture. Oh, yeah, yeah. Why, why was that um, something that happened? Um, well, I think it was just all the creating more context and... I mean, some of it's just having a bigger budget and being able to do more fabulous puppets. They were nicer looking puppets. We had to build it out because it was half an hour. So you had to kind of have a little bit more of a world. So mm -hmm. go inside. But the whole idea, it kind of explained what wasn't even ex explained in the three minutes. It's like, why is she over at her Nana's house? Hmm. And, uh, you know, it's because mom goes to work and she drops her kids off at her Nana's, which happens to so many preschoolers. It, that is, I think, the experience for a lot of preschoolers. So we were kind of like, I guess, giving that context. Right. And I, I mean, from my own personal context, I wasn't dropped off at my grandparents' home, but my grandparents came over to my house. And they took care yeah. of me when my mom was in teacher's college. So I can totally relate to that experience. So I... I um, one other change, and, and this is me being very honest here, is the original design for Nana kind of scared me as a kid. <laughs> I, I don't know why, um, but it did scare me just a tiny bit. Um, yeah. why was there a change to that puppet to the new Nana? Yeah, just, you know, there's, when you're doing these three minute bits and you have no money, you can be kind of like, a little cavalier and, uh, you know, it, it had a silliness that I think is still why it's a hit. Like a lot of the, it's so weird that she, she kind of looks like a, the big snit. I don't know if you've ever seen that NFB film. 
it was just, you know, youthful puppet making and, and, uh, but then when you, you know, we really perfected our skills mm-hmm. and, and made that nicer Nana. And then we got even better when we made Mr. Meaty and then even better than that when we made Big and Small, like Big and Small was, that was sharp. That puppet show was clean, yeah. sharp and beautiful. And don't forget Swami Jeff. And Swami Jeff, exactly. But Swami Jeff, actually, also, we made a pilot, and that one, we had a budget to make the pilot, and because we made it look too clean and good, it ruined it. So oh, I think okay. sometimes, sometimes, if you have them, that was, for me, I was like, oh, that's interesting. I think things are generally a little bit funnier if they don't look like they're, they have take too much effort. Okay. So I think... That's one of the problems with Swami Jeff is that it got too clean and 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 there's too much effort in it where the original just looked like it, you know, you did it over a weekend in your own garage. So I, mm. I think there's a there's a definitely an element of comedy that comes from, you know, not looking like you're making too much effort. <laughs> Welcome, brothers and sisters. Today, we are going to learn how to get into the glory of a flexible and healthy body. I did, you know, the, uh, can I tell you, well, the one thing that yes. was very free form, like the original Nanaland, because I was like, I want to improvise. I want to just do pure improvisation, is the Moosner Wuka puppet shows. Oh, okay. Those were just, when we handed in the scripts that had themes broken down and that kind of thing, we would hand in the... Mr. Wuka, and it would just be a paragraph. This one will explore the theme of generosity, and mm. it's going to star some goats. And then that would be it. So we okay. would set up the little Mr. Wuka puppet show, which was basically in a box that was like kind of like four feet by three feet. And all, all there would be four or five puppeteers all ready with their puppets. And then we'd improvise it. And that's why those things ended up so hilarious and fun. I think they're fun. Hilarious. Yeah, they're also very meta too. A puppet show within a puppet show. Yes, exactly. Come on, Russell. Come on. <laughs> what do we have today, Mister? Well, I don't know. I'm gonna be able to concentrate. Mona's so cute in that costume. There. Well, let me just get the old show going here. Oh, come on over here. Come on. That's right. Okay, move over there. Okay. Can you see? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh... Has anybody seen the puppets? I know I left them around there somewhere. There. Between the the three minute shorts and the longer episodes, are there is there a short that you think epitomizes the feeling of the show, and is there a longer episode which you feel kind of epitomizes the the feeling of the show? Hmm. You know, a lot of those three minutes are pretty great. I can tell you my faves. Sure. Like I love the the chi- the nut, the one with the the. Uh, the nut and the chipmunk comes out of the tree and grabs the nut. Oh yeah. There's yeah. a really long close up of the walnut. Yeah. Yeah. That was that was for me very I loved I love doing really long close ups of mundane things. It's a really hard thing to do. It's like editors are always like, Okay, there it's long enough. No, make it five seconds. Just <laughs> on the nut. I just think that's so funny. And then, so I love that one. I love the flamingo one. For me, the flamingo is almost a little... She cr- climbs the flamingo and rides it. I took it in the flamingo! Yeah. 
I love the one where she does the artwork of Nana and then it's just scribbles and we don't see what it is and then it's just scribbles. Yeah. And then, um, of course, Peepo, that was all, that's a funny one. It is very yeah, funny. Yeah, yeah. We're going to get into um, the sort of the, the memes in a, in a few minutes here. <laughs> yeah, Peepo. And then of the yeah. half hours, I don't know which ones are really, they were, a lot of them were pretty fun to do. People of mine, they loved one, two, three, apple tree. It had a nice feeling. You know, those are still, nobody's seen them and they were, they were airing before people really had copied things and put them online. It was before the internet. So that is like a treasure of all these half hour episodes that the world still is yet to see. Hmm. And, uh, I don't know what to do about that. I want somebody to just like come and force us out, force it out of us. Because it's just sitting on a hard drive. And there are these yeah. amazing episodes. There's also a lot of the three minutes that aren't out there. And it's mm. funny that it's so popular. You know, it's funny. I, I Every once in a while, I do go to a Netflix or a Amazon. And I'm like, why do you, you want these Nanolands? But it's very hard. We're still in this generation where it's hard to explain to people in traditional media what internet popularity means like they just don't understand if something's a hit on tumblr they're like yeah and i'm like that's that's you know that's millions and millions of people not not tumblr (laughs) anymore but you know it's like it me it means something yeah well i mean let's pivot into uh, one thing i want to get into which is sort of mona's mona's memification in a way Uh, so back in 2016 there's one segment where she's in a backyard describing different vegetables and uh that scene kind of exploded online um so what did you think of that at the time Oh, I loved it. It was hilarious and fun. I remember yeah. my friends telling me, you know what? I think I've, I, it was popular for quite a long time before I even realized it. And then people, mm. I started hearing people and I see, then people were doing costumes of Mona and then, um, Buzzfeed wrote a couple of articles about it. Canadians are obsessed with this crazy Canadian television show. <laughs> Luckily she hasn't gone the way of Pepe. Because there's nice. no control of this Mona image, and it's still going. It's funny. It's it's a nonstop uh, uh, celebration mm-hmm. of it. Uh, there's a YouTube video called "Nana Land is My Favorite Anime," and yeah. Uh, yeah, and it has to do with the episode where she's from the from the 30 minute uh, episodes where she's getting her hair cut. So that's another one where <laughs> things kind of exploded online with it. Um, but I mean, Mona is in a way she's a puppet, but she's also you know, a three-year-old kid. Um, did you feel at all kind of protective in a way that this was sort of happening online at all? You know, I, um, I, I sort of, I guess I understand the online language. I understand mm-hmm. the way, you know, it's kind of like, if, it's kind of like when you're a little kid and you have a crush on someone, you, uh, you call them stupid and you hit them. You know, it's just sort right. of like, it's just sort of, you don't know how to talk about things, but it's hard to always just be kind of gushing and lovely about things. So I I don't mind. I, th- I think, same with my show, Mr. Meaty. It's like people are always complaining about it, but that's just sort of how they want to talk about it. 
Right. You know, it's just it's just a way to kind of like give attention to something. Just like most of the artwork out there and the drawings of Mona are kind of her becoming evil or expressing sort of like all that kind of, um, uh, you know, the id. But I I think that's good. I don't know. I think that's, <laughs> I you know, my my Jungian appreciation of it is that it's good for people to be able to explore these things. It's, I get so many pictures online and my Mr. Hmm. Meaty characters too. They're always draw kids are always drawing them. And I kind of love it. It's, I love, I mean, that's what I wanted to do. That's, that's why you do make entertainment is so that people can explore and grapple with the stories and characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just one more online thing before we get into sort of the, the final stretch up here. Um, at the end of every episode of Nihiland, specifically the shorts, there was a little hanging planet that showed up in the credits. And underneath it, it said nanoland.net. Um, I never actually went to nanoland.net when I was a kid because I don't think we had the internet until I was probably in middle school or something. Um, but why did you set up a website? Why did you want to include that as part of the show? Yeah, I had a great website, and I don't even know where it ever went. That was early internet. It was just early yeah. internet. Um, and there was a pretty cute website that had tons of people go to it. It's funny that I just, you know, I was so busy doing other things. Um, I think it was just a little sort of exploratory. I don't think there was a why other than like, <laughs> we better have a, we better have a, a website because everybody yeah. has websites. We should have one too. That was before anybody knew how to monetize the internet. Mm, you just, I, I, you just I, did it because you thought you should. Yeah, I went onto the Wayback Machine to sort of take a look at some screenshots in the past. And I mean, it's, it's, it's completely pure. Like, there's no monetization. It's just crafts and fun stuff like that. So, I mean, I, I love using the Wayback Machine to look at these old websites. I've so never I even heard of that. The Wayback it. Machine. Yeah, so if I'm you go to archive.org, you can use that to go check out, like, old websites. People do it often on, like, YTV's website. Or um, people talk about how space jams original website still up cool and you can yeah. see the whole nanoland.net website yeah you can go in you can actually go into the subcategories see like uh sort of nana's um craft section you can't watch a video because there's no hosting um but you can sort of take a look in there so but it's i it's would love to check that out cool <laughs> go for it um so heading into the final stretch of uh things here you know the show wrapped in 2006 um why did it come to an end um you know we got we got nominated for three gemini's and then one two and then we didn't get renewed Mm. i don't even quite know why i was i was kind of a young man and there was probably some business stuff that i wasn't aware of or people weren't getting along maybe you know we were we were just we were the the talent so i didn't get really in touch with why it didn't get renewed and then we just got busy then after after that one after another we were doing somebody saw nanoland when they were up at the ottawa animation center this guy named peter gal and then he was like do you have anything else and we have we have mr meaty so we made the mr meaty series for nickelodeon and then we made big and small and then we made um I don't know. We made a bunch of things. One after, I was in a studio for about eight years. I was in a in a puppet studio under right. the lights. So you just lived there. I the just puppets. lived there and made television shows. 
And, uh, I, uh, you know, it was such a special thing and I, I don't think it, you know, it'd, it'd be impossible to reenact it with any kind of sincerity, I think. Hmm. And I kind of like leaving it there, leaving it that yeah. way. I guess this, this one question I did have was the idea of bringing it back. But, um, one thing I wondered about is because you had left YTV to create your own company, with with the grogs does that mean that you own the intellectual property rights for nanolan and it's characters I do. and everything i do with my two partners own yeah. nanolan because that's that's very different than a lot of show creators who you know don't have any right to the show or the characters that they've created i know it is nice it's it's just the nanolan that i own um with my two partners mm-hmm. um it's kind of got this popularity, but nobody's really able to, you know, release it properly. So I would love to do that for all the Nanoland fans, especially the half hours that are so good. Yeah, I, I mean, the, there's a, a few episodes or at least snippets of episodes on your own YouTube channel, which is where I was able to watch a lot of the uh, episodes for the, the research that I did. Um, but when you said earlier that they're just on a hard drive, is that literally the case? So they're, they're all on a hard drive somewhere? Or? Yep, they're they're on my hard drive and one one zero 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 one 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 zero one. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> right, and and two more things I want to get into uh, before we say uh, our buys is you had mentioned Mr. Meaty uh, earlier, and I mean we could do an entire episode of this podcast probably about Mr. Meaty. <laughs> But, yeah, it's got a funny, strange fan base itself. That's yeah, hilarious it, it show. certainly does. Um, and currently, because I'm living in Scarborough, I, I certainly can sort of resonate with the characters a little bit from from Scrunchborough. 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 Yeah. <laughs> um, where did that show kind of come from? Because you were working on Nanolan at the same time as producing that. Um, there was a somebody at CBC named Mar- uh, Martin, and he loved Nanolan. And he was running the teen, uh, so the, I think that, what was it, Yamrol. There was a couple of little shows that came out for the After School Zone on CBC. So we made a series of shorts for that. So that series of shorts um, were airing on CBC. And the idea just was like, um, I guess kind of the same thing. He's like, can you make a show for teenagers and then we were just like well where where were we when we were uh 12 13 14 and it was the mall that was where we were (laughs) so we were like the food court of the mall so let's let's center a show in the food court of a mall such a chicken the the yellow menus that hi- hang over the uh the mr meaty uh shop that show the menu items is perfect by the way yeah completely utterly yeah. you know 100 percent representation of what exists in toronto small sometimes yeah so, it's totally yeah. uh yeah that it was fun to celebrate it it's just sort of like take take okay that color's got too much life in it we need to turn it into more you know of a synthetic lifeless color yeah and uh that was a really fun series to make that was that was amazing to get that opportunity well maybe a a future episode of mr tv's podcast we can talk about that (laughs) yeah yeah um last sort of question for you is is 
for Nanaland, what do you think is the sort of lasting legacy of the show? Hmm. I think uh, I think maybe it's innocence. I think it's um, you know TV takes so many people and so much money mm-hmm. and so much bureaucracy and so many um, so many so many steps in the production, the writing, the shooting, the acting, the the editing and the delivery and the and the networks and the and all the all those all those elements i think tease and pull out all they they flatten things it flattens the life of things and you'll look at so much television it's all the same and it's mm. because it's it's just what happens when you have a, a thousand voices making something but nanaland was made by myself my partner jason and jack and then there was a small team that it started with you know, of uh, producers and writers and just a couple little people. But it was so, so small. And Jason and I were both the writers, the creators, the performers, the editors. And that kind of, yeah, just kind of like tight-knit creation, I think, makes something magic. Um, Well, with that, Jamie Shannon, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you about Nanoland. Thank you, Mr. Television. I hope you, I, uh, I hope you enjoyed that. Yeah, it was the, I did. I did certainly. It was nice to meet you. Good research. You did. You did some great research. I try hard. I try hard. It's using my journalism yeah. degree <laughs> to its fullest degree. <laughs> Good job. Thanks for listening to the show. Please subscribe to the Mr. TV podcast on Apple Podcasts or Google Play. Also check out the Mr. TV Twitter account at Mr.TVPodcast, where we post trivia from each episode. Until next time, stay glued to your TV. Mr. TV.